0: Yeah, I was duped, I fell for it, Uh, but I'm not alone. A lot of women fall for it uh, because it's everywhere and we play it off as harmless fun when anyone who's ever tried to care for a baby or a child at any age, honestly, with a horrible hangover knows there is nothing fun about that. There is nothing joyful about that. And the worst part of it all is It makes your anxiety worse. You know, it makes your mental health worse. So really, not only is it putting you into a place of misery the next day, but long term, you are completely depleting all of your mental health tanks.
1: Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am alcohol free as fuck and I live a self-led life and spend every single moment of the day helping other people do the same, like right now. Going to get straight into it. Going to be speaking today with Celeste Yvonne. Sober mom, advocate, Celeste Yvonne is a writer and certified recovery coach with over 20 years of experience as a communications professional in corporate America. Her essays on parenting, the mental load of motherhood, mummy, wine culture, and sobriety resonates with mothers everywhere, and has been featured in the Washington Post, Good Morning America, Today Show, and Refinery29, amongst others. She is also a contributing writer to the Wall Street Journal and publishes weekly bestseller, So God Made a Mother. Over five years sober and founding host of the Sober Mom Squad, Celeste advocates for mothers who struggle with addiction and mental health, She's is a recipient of the Winfeld Inspire Award by the Tri Society Social Club, as well as 2x winner of Red Tricycle Spoke Challenge for Best Writing. She lives in Reno, Nevada, with her husband and her two children. And today we talk about her book, It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture. We touch upon female drinking, why uh, females do it, particularly mums, and how it really isn't helping. Um, but but it's really really difficult for them when they get into that trap. Uh, we talk about being a role model for our parents. We talk about support and even distribution of the workload in the household and a whole lot more. So, without further ado, I'll shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of Celeste Yvonne. Okie dokie, Celeste. Cheers. Have a nice. Cheers. Cup of tea. Mm. What time is it oh. for you? It is three o'clock in the afternoon. I just had a major blood sugar crash. So I just, I just lifted myself off the couch after eating butternut butternut, butternut butternut squash with coconut milk, nuts and raisins. No, nope. wow. don't, do, don't do that again, Lee. Um, yeah, so I, I'm... Kind of just getting over it. but um, congratulations uh, writing a book so difficult, right? So difficult. Why yeah. did you write it? Why did you write it?
0: Uh, I, I wrote it. I mean, the why I wrote it kind of changed over time because the book changed over time. Originally, I just wrote it to share my story. But mm. as the longer I was sober, the longer I started to see issues that a lot of other mothers in recovery, were sharing with me that were similar. And I started to recognize patterns about how many of us wound up in this place in our mid thirties to mid forties, realizing we have to make a change. This is unhealthy. Uh, we're losing our connections with our children. Uh, So many similarities that I was like, there's got to be more to this. And I wanted to kind of dig into more of the why. Why are more women drinking than ever? You know, it's Mm -hmm. not because alcohol's changed, it hasn't um, chemically. So, what is it around us in our environment and in our social construct and narrative that has created this need that we? Feel like we are benefiting somehow from alcohol.
1: And when you went down that rabbit hole, what were some of the things, the similarities, did you notice with moms and, and around their drinking?
0: Uh, so, one thing that people have noticed, uh, science and research has shown this for years, is that women drink for different reasons than men. And, you know, I'm certainly not the one who came up with that. I think Ann Dowsett-Johnson talks about that in drink, uh, that research has shown that men drink more for the pleasurable feelings they get from it and for socializing. And women are more inclined to drink uh, because of the negative feelings they're trying to avoid, Uh, anxiety, uh, anxious feelings, depressive feelings, or um, uncomfortable feelings they're trying to numb out. So, that in and of itself is really interesting. But when I started kind of digging into well, why moms, why this age range, you know, when I look at uh, women in the Sober Mom Squad where I host meetings, you're generally looking at age 30 to 50. Uh, why are so many of us having these? realizations then and there. And one of the overlying themes for all of us was the mental load of motherhood, just this heavy weight of responsibility around parenting and household duties that overwhelmingly in traditional households falls on the mother. Uh, And I was like, well, what makes this different from our generation from you know my parents' generation and the generations before that And I saw that, you know, as more women are returning to work in 2023 than they ever have been after having a baby, the responsibilities in the household are still largely remaining on the mother. So there's this discrepancy that women's lives are changing post-baby, but the expectations aren't, which is just feeding into this mental load and leaving mothers more overwhelmed than we've ever been.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking that myself when you said what's changed because my my mother raised four kids and very very stereotypical mother, you know, I, I gave up basically gave up her life, um, and and here's the thing when you, when you give up your life to look after your kids or you know, your, your your meaning, your purpose, your your dreams, uh, your visions, it's really difficult to get back. Uh, mm-hmm. To them in later life when your kids have gone, and my mother hasn't done that, so she's so it sounds really horrible, but she'll end up dying, and she would not have lived the life that she wanted to live because she decided, or culture or whatever the reason was, uh, to give all that up for her children, and never never got that back. But she never drank at home; like mm-hmm. I, she never drank at home. She went to the pub all the time. I mean, I remember as a seven, eight year old doing the dinner when my mum and dad went to the pub every Sunday. But she she never drank at home. Um, maybe this, like you said, today is different. Women, the expectation on women, maybe um, uh, women are more attuned to that power within them, and they they want to go do those things. Maybe culture and and everything is is leading into that. But What do you think? Do you want to expand on that a little more?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the reason um, women are turning to alcohol now more than ever is a lot to do with uh, not only the increased uh, advertising from alcohol companies towards women and their marketing, which has really expanded over the last 20 years, uh, maybe even 30 but then you also add to that mommy wine culture, which is this social narrative that moms need alcohol to cope with raising children. And it's a message that I think has been around a while, but really took off with social media uh, popularizing in the early 2010s. And that's really where we see the rise in women's drinking also growing and increasing and skyrocketing. And there's a connection there, like for better or worse, this message that alcohol will fix what ails us. Uh, Moms need wine. Uh, It's a heavy message. It's a message that I fell for. Uh, It's a message that we are giving to mothers, regardless of whether they just have a newborn at home or they are empty nesters and it's a problematic message because it's not only justifying alcohol use to help when we when we are in pain and struggling, you know, using alcohol to cope is never a good idea. And we know that scientifically, uh, but that message doesn't imply that. Uh, but it's also a harmful message to our children. You know, I think about, I, I'm a child of an alcoholic, and I can't even imagine the implications. I already feel enough guilt and shame uh, that I couldn't be enough for my dad to quit drinking. I can only imagine if the cultural narrative at that time was also parents drink because of their kids. Like what kind of message is that sending? Our children—that uh, they are the reason their parents drink, or even worse, that their parents drink to excess. Uh, so, you know, there's so many implications. When I think about a mother who's struggling, the last thing we should be joking about or suggesting is alcohol or drugs. And yet, here we are. This is the number one response when when a mother says she's having a hard time or she's struggling and needs support. And um, what we really should be offering is support. And we're just not doing
1: that. Yeah, it is. Um, I am a great student of Melanie Joy. She's a a vegan advocate, and writer and psychologist. She wrote a book, um, Why We... I always butcher this title, Why We... Why We Eat Cows, Wear Pigs, and Love Dogs, or something.
0: (laughs) Interesting. And
1: she she talks about this invisible, violent, and dominant belief system she calls carnism, how we end up in our 30s and 40s eating meat, and we have no idea why we ended up eating it, Mm. right? And one one of the aspects of this invisible, violent, and dominant belief system is what she calls absurdity. So, for example, she gives an example of a chopping board which will have a pig's head on there and the pig's head will be smiling and chickens will be flying over it, almost like it's a joyful, happy thing. You're just about to carve up an animal on it. And when I was reading that, I thought, wow, alcohol is the same and and particularly how it is advertised and pushed on women. So this absurdity uh, within women, if, if you walk in some of the gift shops here, I live in Cardiff. There's a gift shop in particular I know down the road. has some really good stuff in there. But it is full of memes uh, around um, uh, wine o'clock and uh, all this nonsense uh, uh, really attracted to women. And what it's doing is it it takes away the fact that alcohol kills 3.3 million people a year. And it makes it a joke. It, it, It makes it absurd. So it allows the woman in this case to be like, oh, it's, it's actually quite funny that I drink a bottle of wine a night and 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 that that is a a, de- a defensive mechanism to go get some help. I don't know if you want to comment on that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the message we're sending that it's harmless fun, that uh it's it's cute. I, I mean, you can look at it so many different ways. but as somebody who raised children, In the 2010s, when this message was taking off, when you could buy the t-shirt at Target, you know, that says, you know, mommy needs wine. You can go on Etsy and you get these shirts that say, uh, they're onesies for babies that say, I'm the reason mommy drinks. I mean, stuff like this uh, is the overlying message everywhere. This is an international issue. And um, it's so easy for someone in my own experience, I was struggling with postpartum depression. I was miserable. I'm, I'm on low sleep. I'm low energy. I am feeling like I'm the worst mother on earth because I don't know what I'm doing. You know, the baby comes home without a manual. And mm. here I am expected to now understand these cues or why my baby's screaming at any given moment. And I tried all the things in the book, nothing's working. And I'm desperate. I'm tired. I'm drained. I'm mentally unwell. And I'm desperate. And that's the message coming at me from every angle, not just from social media, from friends and family uh, saying, you know, wine is it, you know, you just need wine. I, I, yeah, I was duped. I fell for it. Uh, But I'm not alone. A lot of women fall for it uh, because it's so expansive. It's everywhere. And we play it off as harmless fun when anyone who's ever tried to care for a baby or a child at any age, honestly, with a horrible hangover knows there is nothing fun about that. There is nothing joyful about that. Um, And the worst part of it all is it makes your anxiety worse. You know, it makes your mental health worse. So really, not only is it putting you into a place of misery the next day, but long-term, you are completely depleting all of your mental health tanks. You're emptying them out over time. You know, I was being treated for postpartum depression in those early days, taking medication and i was probably negating all the benefits of the medication by having a couple drinks every night mm. i didn't know that but i i know this now and now so when i see that being the message we throw on new mothers it makes me so sad and heartbroken and it really is part of the reason why i felt like this book had to be written
1: yeah i'm glad, I'm glad you wrote it i mean in, in the UK. Uh, What I notice, uh, I imagine it's similar in in America, I I believe anyway that we're actually designed from birth to drink alcohol. Like from the moment we come into this world, everything around us is driven to um, push us towards feeling that drinking alcohol is normal, nice, necessary, natural, and in more recent times, noble. Not not just for men. Like men are like wearing this badge of honor. Where I grew up in the valleys in o- in Ogmovale, it was a badge of honor for women to drink as much as men and to get shit face mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and and I call this the liquid lie. And and I and I think because by the time in the UK, by the time you get to your mid thirties, because you've been drinking consistently several times a week, if not daily, a lot of people um, that e- e- even women that actually when you have a baby. It, it, you don't have to go seek this thing out. It's already an integral part of your life. And I, and I have a friend, she, she looks after the kids in the day or she goes to work and then she comes home, looks after. As soon as those kids go to bed, out with the smoke, out with the, the wine. And it just, what you do, you you are shutting yourself off, but you're also shutting yourself off from your partner. And your partner's probably doing the same, shutting yourself off from you. If your kids wake up, you're shutting yourself off from your kids. So, I'm really glad you've you've uh, you've gone and written this because I think it can help a, a lot of people. Um, how how did you realise that this was an issue? Because you know this friend I'm talking about, for example, she doesn't think it's an issue. She's very mm-hmm. defensive and very protective over her right to have fun and mm-hmm. to rewind because. I do so much as, as a woman, I, I deserve this. How did you even, Was a how did you become aware of that?
0: Yeah, I think that is such a common response and that's absolutely where I was before I quit. Like I was in this place where I was like, I have, motherhood has depleted me in every aspect of my life. Do not take this from me too. Very defensive, very angry, just feeling like a victim. Like I have literally nothing else. Uh, to look forward to, um, my day is drained. My body's not my own anymore. Let me at least have this. So I understand that so well. Uh, what I realized and where I, how I got to this place was I had these convincing moments. You know, Catherine Gray would call them convincers, where little things started adding up. Uh, like one time, I was at the pediatrician's office because my son was having behavioral issues at his daycare. He was only three at the time. And um, I asked the pediatrician, what do I do? You know, we're having issues. He's going to see the principal every day. Uh, It's scary. I want to help him. And my pediatrician said, well, he's too young to do anything about it. So we just have to do the wait and see approach. And I was like, I'm not leaving here until you give me something like give me something to work with and he says he looks at me you know dead in the eye you know i don't think he has any idea that i'm i'm drinking too much but what he said to me was kids like this need consistency routine and structure that's the environment that this child needs to thrive in and i remember feeling my heart sink because i knew that with my drinking i was not giving him any of that And um, that was a convincing moment. Did I quit drinking the next day? No, it was about a month later. Uh, But it was little things like that, that just started, pieces started clicking together. And I wound up quitting in December of that year um, after I had a panic attack at work and um, just being so scared. Like, what am I doing? Like, my health isn't something to be gambling on and yet i'm i'm gambling by um drinking too much and not treating my body well and uh that was it you know i i quit cold turkey without a plan without you know a, a network without a community without support without meetings and i just said i will figure this out as i go and that's how i did it like Over time, I developed the tools, the support, the community, the network, all those things came with time and as I dug into the process. But all I knew that day, my day one, was that I have to stop drinking. And that was just the first step for me. Uh, But it was an important... I mean, obviously, it was the most important step because it's really where everything cascaded from there.
1: Thanks for sharing that it's really powerful story and <clears throat> I'm very vulnerable. So I appreciate it. And two things come up for me there that the first one that I want to ask you, the one I'll probably forget about it. Um, <laughs> but the, the one that first came up for me was um, with this defensiveness, this, um, I want to keep, I want to, don't you dare take this away from me. Is an aspect of this. You're, you're going through life you're you're looking after these kids without uh a manual on how to do it. um our parents we we I mean, I don't know about you, but I went to my parents and said, "How do I do this?" and they're telling me how to do it and then I realized that everything they're telling me to do is wrong or ancient. and so we, we're know what we doing um but then you're also in a relationship with somebody and it, I, I I'm beginning to feel and think that it is unusual for the partner to see you, to hear you, to make you feel like you matter, to understand you and everything. Like I, I'm starting to believe that is unusual. It's it's not the norm. <laughs> like it's, it's not like use a very stereotypical, uh, heterosexual relationship. I don't think it's the norm that the men get it. And some of them don't, I think it's a norm that they don't get it. And some of them, and some of them mm-hmm. do. So, in that environment, when all of a sudden the the alcohol is going to be taken away from you, is there a part of it? It's like, well, hang on a minute. What about fucking see me, see what I'm going through? And if you knew what I was going through, you'd never dream of taking this away from me. Have you found that in your groups, or if, or is this just what I'm witnessing in who I hang around with?
0: You mean with our partners?
1: Yeah, like not being seen, not mm-hmm. being heard. So so think. If that is happening in your household, and you and you and most of the time you're stuck there because that's where you're spending most of your time, you 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 lose all sense of identity, I imagine, because like having conversations with two year olds, three year olds, four year olds, five year olds, and it's not always the case that the man understands everything. Like I've watched some of your videos. Mm-hmm men won't understand how much time and effort goes into making sure that your four-year-old has the greatest birthday party they've ever had. The man probably wouldn't give a fuck. You wouldn't even know about that. And then he'll turn up at the party and have a couple of beers and, and, and think and slice the cake and think that he's nailed it. And he hadn't done anything. So, so does that exacerbate this. <laughs> like protection to keep hold of the alcohol, do you think?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, i was drinking at, i was drinking at things uh i was drinking a lot at a lot of anger and rage and frustrations towards my partner towards my workplace towards people who just didn't understand right and um without instead of having the conversations you know instead of making eye contact and saying here's where we're at here's what i need here's where i feel invisible uh it seemed easier at the time to just drink at the the rage i mean so much rage and then you know the the shame of feeling rage when i'm supposed to be the happiest i've ever been cuz motherhood's supposed to be the best experience of our lives so a lot of imposter syndrome a lot of rage and um a lot of thinking i'm doing this wrong because i see other mothers saying these are the best years of their lives and i um i'm miserable so absolutely that has a lot to do with it you know when i talk to other women who are there now you know they talk about um feeling like they need to escape but they can't escape they're home with little kids they are the primary chair, child caretaker and they need a, a way to maybe mentally escape when they physically can't so they are turning to alcohol to escape their bodies when they have no other way to do it and of course in theory it sounds like a hack right it sounds like wow you just you know beat the system the problem is as anybody who's ever overconsumed alcohol knows is that comes back to bite you in the butt the next morning over time with your mental health, it makes everything worse. So it is not a sustainable coping mechanism. And for mothers, especially mothers who are the primary caretakers, it is a dangerous process where you are over-consuming when you have little ones counting on you to survive and you aren't in a healthy state of mind to Take them to the emergency room if there's an emergency. To wake up if you smell fire. I mean, there's so many what-if moments that I think about myself where it's like, I was just setting myself up for potential disaster if that situation ever arose. As a mom, I need to be in my body and present Uh, for for a lot of reasons and that's just one and when we are drinking we are self-sabotaging ourselves in all these ways Um, and it's scary and it feels like it's all we've got right so we cling to it and we're like this is all I got but it's really self-sabotaging ourselves and it wasn't until I could see that clearly uh, with a little space between me and alcohol Uh, that I could let go of that death grip uh, because before that, I was clung so tight to this desperate need to escape. I couldn't see the forest from the trees.
1: Hi Strivers! a quick pause from our regular programming for a golden ticket you won't want to pass up. So October's looming and you know what that means, Sober October. So if you've been wrestling with a booze or just want to give sobriety a test ride, then I've got a deal for you. I am throwing the doors of the strike community wide open, and guess what? It's free until November the 1st. Yeah, you heard me right. Free, nada, zip, zilch. So what's cooking in the strike pot? Well, first off, you get to hang with a kick-ass community of people just like you. And secondly, I will personally be leading weekly Zoom group coaching sessions that you won't want to miss. Lastly, you get your hands on our game-changing strive method. Feeling intrigued? One in, or well, shoot me an email at thestrivemethod at gmail.com and we'll hook you up. Remember, you got until November 1st to, to snag this sweet deal, and trust me, you'll thank yourself later. While you're thinking on that, let's get back to the action. Thank you for listening. It's like, um, it's like a double impact on children, really. And, and, and look, for all of you listening, I don't want you to think this is a beat up on mummy's time because it's it's a, it's a joint responsibility to raise kids and, and it's not just the mum. So as I'm talking here, I'm not talking mum, I'm actually talking parent, but um, obviously, stereotypically, the mums are taking over most of this responsibility. But I, I've been very lucky to have kids um, I, I had one kid when I was a drinker and one kid when I wasn't at uh, one's 22, now one seven. And, you know, you said you need to be physically there for them. Like if, if like my, my daughters had so many different things happen to her that never happened to my son that I'm just able to just jump straight in a car and and, and yeah. go. Um, so there's that aspect of it, but the aspect of the, that I want to talk about now and then throw the ball back to you is this is being present with them. Not, not, not necessarily to be able to deal with an emergency or anything, but I, something yesterday, I was try, trying to put my daughter to bed, she's seven, and she and she's bawling her eyes out, and, and she says, I want mommy to take me to bed. I haven't spent any time with my mom today, I want to spend time with my mom, right? Now, my son would have never said that because he grew up in a household where we were very rarely present for him because we were drinking. So his experience of life was to be alone, to be on his Nintendo, to be on his computer, because we wouldn't spend the time with him, the present time with him right? Like even if I was playing video games with him, I was drinking while I was playing video games. Like I wasn't present with him. Whereas now me and my wife, I I don't drink. My wife rarely ever drinks, especially around the house. Super present with this child. So now when we're not, they're very aware, Mm -hmm. right? They're very aware of it. And what is our job if it isn't Celeste to show them how to find their true self, and to flourish in a secure attachment style. So they end up meeting somebody who's in a secure attachment style. We've done our job and they're safe. And what we're doing is we're we're doing the opposite because we're drinking all the time. We're we're either in our avoidant attachment style or disorganized or anxious because we're not dealing with our shit. And then our kids are mirroring us and growing up in the same way. Um, So it's very difficult because a lot of people listening to this who are drinking will not be able to stop drinking because of their kids. Like it's not enough, you know. It's like it's not enough, but maybe you know, it's almost like wake up by a thousand cuts. Like you listen mm-hmm. to lots of different things, you know. But what what do you think about uh, and and just talk about that being present and being a role model and actually seeing your kid, you know? Um, yeah, talk about that.
0: So I think about Jessica Leahy and her book, The Addiction Inoculation, in in that she talks about how our kids can recognize the difference between alcohol and other beverages as early as age three. So they're picking up cues on alcohol and when we drink and why we drink very young. Uh, So when I think about what I was doing and how I was drinking and what I was showing my children if you had asked me is that is this a life or a way of coping that you would wish for your kids and i would have said no i don't want this for my kids and yet that's how that's what i was showing them i was showing them every day what mommy does to cope uh so you know that right there you know it was clearly a distinction between what i wanted for my kids and what i was using for myself and there was a huge discrepancy there and i realized like if i am going to send my kids off as teenagers to go out and see the world but i don't want them to experiment with drinking the way i did to uh binge drink the way i did to do all these things then i have to show them what life can look like Not drinking. Like if I'm showing up every day consuming alcohol and I don't want that for them, I'm fooling myself. I'm fooling everybody because that is the life I am showing them. I'm showing them that we need alcohol to get through the day. And, you know, I, I also say this as somebody who grew up with a father who drank every single day and to the point where he started hiding alcohol around the house. So I I know what that looks like. I know what message that sends our kids. And I know I didn't want that for my kids. So why was it good enough for me? I I mean, I think that's where you kind of have to have that moment, that heart moment where you're like, why is it not good enough for my kids, but it's a good enough life for me? I, I want better for my kids. So I should want better for me too.
1: I'm going to go right to the edge of this, and you you might think it's a little bit controversial, but I think it's really important. And I just want to underline this by saying this is my own belief system. I'm not saying it's it's the truth. When when I grew up, underage drinking wasn't just accepted; it was promoted and it was encouraged. Uh, I again, absurdity was used, humor was used. You would play youth club rugby and get free beer tokens afterwards. You know that type of thing. My dad took me to a pub when I was 14, paid the barman to allow me to go up and order my first pint, which was like my first real connection with him as a human being. right? Mm. And, And I often look at it and I think to myself, there's a subconscious thing going on here where adults are pushing this onto their children because it allows it and normalizes it for themselves. It's almost like if my kids drink, I'm okay. Because nobody likes a hypocrite, right? Like nobody likes a hypocrite. I remember it wasn't even alcohol. I was I was coming down off speed when I was 17, 18 or something. And my dad fell into my bedroom, drunk as anything, and said, look at you, you you're a junkie. And I remember getting really angry with him because I would taken some speed and I was drinking water yet he drank alcohol consistently all the time. It was a ludicrous argument, but I remember, right, really getting in his face going, how dare you tell me what I can do when as a role model all you're doing is spending the money that we need as a family on alcohol. So I I think there's layers here, isn't there? And I think we need to have a lot of compassion in the drinker because we've all been there where – there's a lot of this stuff that we don't even know is going on. And when someone tells us about it, it's still because of the cognitive distance is so strong to drink this stuff. We, it just doesn't crack through. And so we have to have a lot of patience as well, I, I guess, Celestia. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at the cycle you grew up in, like if, if it was everywhere, if that's what your parents did, it it's going to be more natural for you to go that direction and then you'll go that direction it'll be more natural for your children to go that direction that's just how cycles work add to that the culture we live in we live in a very heavy drinking culture i was at a brewery yesterday that has really good food it's like a family style brewery if you could look at it that way um with my family uh just getting dinner and everyone there you know it's a brewery everyone there's mm-hmm. drinking and i'm probably one of the only adults not with 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 no beer in front of me i've got a soda in front of me and and it's hard to, or you look around and we're the out, outliers right we we are the the unusual we're the minority when we are not drinking uh because The majority of people do and are. And so for, to be in that surrounding with the herd mentality, pushing alcohol, alcohol is everywhere. It's at every event. It's at, it's at everything we do has often a correlation to alcohol. So for us to not be drinking or to want to slow down our drinking or to stop completely, we have a lot of stuff going up against us. And then when you add to that the family cycle, this toxic drinking cycle—I mean, double down—you've got the subliminal messaging, subconscious memory that alcohol is just something we do. Uh, so it's a lot to push back on. And yet, you know, when you think about breaking cycles, when we think about what we want for our children, it—it's going to, and it can start with us. You know, we don't have much control. We. Most we have very little control over what our children do and uh, what their life will look like in the future. But one of the few ways I like to think I have a tiny bit of control is how I sh- I show up for them. What I show them life can look like.
1: Celeste, you do. You do. I just want to like say, I see you, you know, and you do. And you don't just have an impact on your kids. You have an impact on your kids' kids, mm-hmm. for sure. And and we're not, it's not just, it's not just that the marketing against women is ramped up in recent times. Also the exposure to children. Like my, my daughter's seven, her dad doesn't drink. She knows full well what I do for a living. She's been on my podcasts and she talks to strivers and all this kind of stuff. Her mom doesn't drink in the house, like I said, very rarely drinks, right? She she can't, like She'll get ill if she does. She's not it's just not interested in it. Yeah, my daughter will still glamorize it. So so that's coming from where, right? It's coming from the playground, it's coming from things that she watches on TV, it's coming from books. Beauty and the Beast is just one example of um, a beautiful scene where it's a great song. I love it where they're all having the dinner, but they they all end with the clashing the pot champagne champagne corks pop, popping and all that kind of stuff, you know. And but I think it's important to be an outlier and to show your kids that being an outlier is okay because it is so difficult for them, right? Like they grow up wanting to get that approval and to feel like they 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 fit in. And you being an outlier is great. The number of times I've been in the car, taking my son to football when he was in his teens and his friends asking me questions about my sobriety and looking at me thinking he's not just sober, he's, he's quite cool. Hmm. Uh, And, 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 and I'm not saying they changed. Like I'm, I'm with you. I, I think I have very, very little influence over what my kids do. My son drinks, not a great deal, but he drinks. I'm sure my daughter will. Um, But we are definitely helping them by showing them that you can be cool. You can approve of yourself and be safe. Have a great time and not drink, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that we are showing them that you can live a sober life that is still fulfilling and beautiful is so much better than probably we had ourselves growing up. Like, I don't know about you, but I didn't know anybody who was sober, Mm -hmm. certainly not somebody who is loud about it. Um, because we I grew up in the generation that was like everybody drinks unless you're one of those people who can't handle it. And so the assumption is and was everybody drinks, unless you, you know, are one of those rare few people that have to go to anonymous meetings. Uh, so now that I am kind of a sober mom who's vocal, and I talk about it openly with anybody, but especially with my kids, they, they're they seeing a different side to it. And I am, might just be the only person they know or will know for a while who doesn't drink. And that's okay too. But at least I'm showing them that, that it's an option. At least I'm showing them a different side. Uh, that's Maybe the most I can do in this case, but it's enough.
1: Do you have um, Do you have daughters? Or, or, I have two uh, boys. Two boys. One of the things that really um, I got a boy. My first was a boy. My second was was a girl. Um, one of the things, one of the reasons I think what you're doing is so powerful and so important is the statistics bear this out, right? The statistics show that the women are much more likely to be sexually abused or sexually assaulted. And when that happens, it is more likely that alcohol is involved either with the perpetrator or the victim. Right. Right. Um, as a father of a young girl, that terrifies me. That that loss of control and hoping to God that she doesn't a get absolutely plastered so she she's not in full control of her faculties or her inhibitions are lowered. and she ends up with somebody who is drinking, and Hannah has also lost control of his inhibitions and his faculties, and doesn't respect what's happening. Um, so. So, as a sober mom, what, what much better role model can you be to explain boundaries, to explain the importance of maintaining control? Um, you know, to just be careful and don't have so much if you are going to bloody drink. You know, like that is going to come across so much more powerful to to a teenage girl than it is uh, from a father. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm positive of that because if 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 we are kind of lost in it and we are like in the same rat race it 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 is going to be perceived as hypocritical because our children are the smart cookies man you know i i don't know if, if this subject has come up at all in in your groups
0: well you know i think it's something that is top of mind for so many you know, something I am working with my kids on is teaching them about consent. In fact, that just came up yesterday at the brew pub because uh, there was another, there was a little girl there and my nine-year-old was trying to play with her and he was getting ready to go tickle her. And I was like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, you do not touch somebody without their consent. And Mm -hmm. it's just starting them young to recognize that you don't touch other people's bodies unless they they're okay with it and it, it, even for something as simple as a hug or a, a high five i mean it needs to be a mutual uh type of relationship or connection and um these are just you know how the conversation starts uh and as they get older it'll be that much easier i hope for them to understand that this is this is how we we connect with others it's not one sided it's never one sided um it and um it it's a two sided decision it's a two sided uh, approach um and just i mean i mean i hope i'm doing it right I, you know time will tell but um these are certainly conversations i know that comes through connection and the only real way i have connection with my kids every day is by being present and in my sobriety.
1: Yeah. Well, 100% that Zia has a book on consent. I actually read it to her two nights ago, you know, and I changed my behavior around her from reading that book and, and mm. through the influence of my wife as well. I'm a kisser and I'm a hugger. Yeah. Um, And it was through my wife and raising Zia and reading a religion. I don't kiss Zia now. I ask her if I can kiss her. I may kiss her on the top of the head or something, but in general, I'm like, can I give you a kiss? Can I give you a hug? And she says, no, she says, yes, sometimes, but sometimes she says no. Um, And so I think you're spot on And with my son. A lot of time and effort goes into and has gone into respecting women and the importance of respecting women and talking to him about pornography and and how that can skew his his thoughts and feelings and understanding of sex and intimacy and how to treat women and 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 to be careful of those things And, and what i will say listening to you i'm not convinced that those conversations are going on or as as effective when when we're when we're drinking because we have a pie chart of energy and attention Drinking alone is going to slice a big part of that. Then the recovery and the comatose state is going to take away some of that. Then what's left is just nappies, running around, organizing Halloween, birthdays, Christmas, cleaning the house, uh, running them around to like every single event that they're doing every single day. Where, Where is the time to sit down and be present with you? with your kids and th- this is what I love about when you stop drinking I call it white space like you get this mm. white space and people are saying I'm, I'm they've come onto the, the strive forum we got a community called strive celeste and some of the new will come on and say oh my god I've stopped drinking and I, I don't know what to do myself I'm like Have you got kids it's like yeah and you don't know what to do yourself come on go play with them be with them and and for a lot of people me included it's not easy mm-hmm. to be with your kids. It's not easy to play with your kids. It's, it's, it's not, we escape, you know, I escape through work, you know, can we touch upon that a little bit, you know, like, um, it's o- that it's okay to not want to be with your kids sometimes that it's okay to not like your kids sometimes. <laughs> can we talk about that?
0: Yeah. I think, you know, this goes to kind of these impossible parenting standards we've put forth, through um social media through influencer culture and just through probably movies and television this expectation that we have to be perfect and we have to be um we have to love every minute right it's just that message that motherhood should be everything or parenthood should be everything we've ever wanted or needed and then we go into parenthood and we're like this isn't this is great sometimes but sometimes it really sucks And also, this doesn't fill me up completely. Like, I still have other needs. I still, there are other things I want to do. I'm still an individual. And, And then I don't know, you know, if fathers feel this way so much. But for mothers, I think generally we feel guilty for feeling that way because it's been ingrained in our culture that motherhood is the end goal, that being a mom should be all you've ever wanted or needed. And that should fill your cup up completely. So I think for myself and a lot of other mothers were like, it doesn't fill my cup up completely. I still want to work or I still want to pursue my passions. Does that make me a bad mom? Or should I just not talk about that and, and hide from that? And I think we've just set this this impossible parenting standard out of what a good parent looks like, uh, that doesn't, it's not in and of itself necessarily correct. I mean, there's more to being human than being a parent. That's just one role. And when we carry that guilt or weight with us that I should be Present with my kid every second of the day and loving every minute of it. That's kind of a that's a harmful message to be sending to each other because that's not that's not going to work. We're humans. That's not that's not how things work. Hmm. Um, I think it's so important to you know have those boundaries for ourselves, uh, boundaries that you really learn through sobriety, right? Uh, and not give ourselves to our kids every moment of every day. That's not teaching them good boundaries, Uh, but making sure we have that connection in present time, but also saving some of that time for ourselves.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, I think giving up drinking gives you some, gives you, gives you, gives you the, the availability to, to do that. Right. Like um, when I was, drinking and my son I, I would watch football all the time like I would escape through football games poker like I, I would be drinking while I, while I was playing the last thing I wanted to do was be with my son today if I want to watch a football game I, I'm I'm really comfortable to say to my daughter daddy's going to spend some time on his own because I know I spend so much time being present with her and and, and so I'm able to to come to that from a very, very different place. I, I, I think on this subject, communities are so important, like the community that you have, because it gives people the opportunity to talk about these things. Like I, yeah. it, you said, I don't know if it's the same for fathers. You know, for me, I can't talk for all fathers, but for me, I had to wrestle with the, the reality that, my meaning and my purpose didn't come from my kids. My meaning and my purpose came from the work that I do and, and making that okay. And talking about that and saying, when I wake up in the morning, my first thought is not my children. My first thought is actually, I'm really excited to work, but that doesn't mean I'm not a dutiful and loving father and that I'm not present for them and and I'm doing everything, but I want to be, I want to be open and say, it just, it just, doesn't impact me that way. Right. Like it, it, it doesn't. And, and I just want to say to other fathers, it's okay if you don't feel like that. And, and to mothers, my, my coach, <laughs> she's like, sometimes my kids just get on my nerves and I don't want to be anywhere near them. And, 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 and she says that cause she's so confident and she's so grounded and she understands herself. Right. Like, uh, so super powerful. Um, another question I wanted to ask you in your group, cause this happened to me for sure. When I had my first son, um, first son, my only son, we were in our 20s. But the significant change that happened is we were in the drinking culture, um, grabbed by the liquid lie, just like not knowing that we were drinking every day was a problem. And then we have a baby. And then all of a sudden, you can't really go to the pub because you have a baby. So what happened was our drinking at home really built up. And then our friends had babies at the same time. And then what happened was our socialization, our social structure changed. And now we just would round everybody's house. So we would bring the kids round. The kids would look after themselves. And then we would all drink and get smashed. Ridiculous now thinking about it. We would all get unbelievably smashed. And then somehow walk them, sometimes carrying them on your shoulders, blacked out like home. But there was something very definite that changed when we had, Jude, around our, our drinking increased. And I don't think it increased mm-hmm. because we was both stressed, actually. I think it just increased because we couldn't go to the pub. So there was an it, there was no stop tap. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a limit on how much you had. Uh, it was cheaper. Uh, has that come up in your community, this, this danger around having kids and it kicking off?
0: That's an interesting theory. I've never heard that before as the reason parents – start drinking more. Uh, But that makes a lot of sense. Like when you are drinking out socially, you need to safely get yourself home. You've got a tab, you know, there's, there's various things that could constrict you from uh, maybe drinking too much that you don't have those barriers at home. Uh, So I totally see that the, what I hear from other sober moms is drinking increased because we lost our autonomy virtually overnight. We lost access to our, you know, full access to our bodies. Um, It felt like our bodies were no longer our own. Uh, We started kind of accumulating anger and rage about maybe unequal distribution of labor at home and childcare at home with our partners um, or feeling like There's this additional pressure to want to return to work or to need to return to work uh, when something so expansive and huge just happened in our lives with the birth of a baby uh, that it feels like we are burning the candle from both ends. So just all of these added pressures and struggles and new emotions that are creeping in of now being responsible for another human uh, just kind of put this additional need coping mechanism, a crutch on our shoulders uh, and and the desire to ease that heaviness.
1: How did you and how do you now help guide the women in your group get this message across to their partners? Because I, I, uh, whilst I am a great advocate that we, I take 100% responsibility for the way I I respond in life, which means, you know, if I've got a problem, it's my responsibility to tell my wife, I've got a problem. I also think (laughs) it makes absolute sense for my wife to know what the hell is going on with me, so she can actually show up and 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 help me with my needs and wants and desires, uh, and yeah. vice versa. How have you been dealing with that? Because uh, you you you're right. I, I I see this in my own community where it, it's there is not an even distribution of labor whatsoever, um, and and often I see that manifest in uh, a desire to hide. And to just let the status quo continue so that the dreams, you know, my mom wanted to be a nurse, for example, it just dies within you because you just don't have the strength, the courage, or whatever. So I have that conversation. Um, how have you been dealing with that in your group?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, the conversation, you know, of talking about redistribution of labor, uh, redistribution and expectations of childcare, it's something that, Every person in a relationship should have a uh, post-baby. Um, regardless of if one person's working or both people are working or nobody's working, They things are going to change when a child enters the picture and you need to have that conversation. And um, what it can look like is just a mapping out of what you do And what your partner does, and talking about it and looking at the list. I mean, essentially, what your list is four times as long as mine. What can we do to redistribute some of this labor? And it's hard work, but I'll tell you, it's a heck of a lot harder to not talk about it. Mm. And just let those that rage or that frustration just sit with you to the point where you feel like you need something. To melt it away or to hide it within you. Uh, so you don't explode. Uh, so, you know, I think it's just normalizing that conversation and it's not just one, it's going to be one and then two and then three, it's just going to be a lifetime of conversations. But um, it's a conversation that I don't think we ever knew we needed to have going into a new baby entering the picture uh, because nobody talked about it, you know, in past generations. Uh, for the most part, you know, stereotypically, mothers just sucked it up and did it all. Uh, but like I said in the beginning, you know, now that women are re-entering the workforce, uh the conversation needs to be had now more than ever. Um, and it's important because unpaid labor is just as important as paid labor. You know, what a mother or a partner or whatever, whoever you are, what you're doing at home or with child rearing is just as important as somebody who's outside of the household getting paid however much money. And that is a new concept to people. You know, I think the assumption is always whoever is getting paid the money has the most important job. But I think what we need to advocate more for is that unpaid job work and unpaid labor at home and childbearing is equally as important. And their needs are just as important too. So, you know, it's just kind of re understanding what, what all of this means and what we're doing, and having these really hard conversations. Before it becomes a bigger issue, you know, when I talked to my partner about this, you know, I had the very, we had this tough conversation. The truth was, and I didn't know this, but my husband was like, you are pushing me out. He's like, I want to be more involved with the baby. I want to be more helpful around the house, but you give me the death stare and I just go running for the hills because Mm -hmm. I don't know how to help you at all. And I'm so afraid of screwing it up and i never would have known that had he not said that i was always under the impression that he was just kind of shirking away from responsibility when he was genuinely afraid that i was going to be pissed that he was doing it wrong or i was going to try to take over what he was doing and that makes perfect sense cuz i was
1: <laughs> but but that that realization and that self-awareness in your relationship that 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 can then be compounded. I mean, the, the awareness compounded and raised up even more when you do more of the deeper work. And and that deeper work is not going to happen if you're drinking. You're just never even going to go there, right? Like, right. and then and then and then because I see that in my one to one clients where, you know, sometimes the mother in the household she 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 wants to, she doesn't want all this, but she doesn't want to lose it either because mm-hmm. it now forms part of her identity. Yeah. And 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 there's a certain way of doing things, and that guy over there, he's just going to screw everything up. Like he's never going to do it as as well as I can. And then then there's the shame and guilt, right? There's the there's the oh, he does work really hard, so I shouldn't really ask him to go get a school jumper for little Freddie, right? And 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 uh, how, who am I to talk to him about this when all I'm doing is at home? But look, for any of you guys out there who are not doing this. Just get on the email list of your local school of your kids and, and just read all the emails and learn and understand everything that's going on in the kid's life and everything they need and when they're off and what school uniform and what PE and what they're supposed to eat and what they're not supposed to eat. That is going to take up a significant chunk of your time alone. And there's so much more uh, in, in this thing. So I just want to say, Celeste, really celebrate what you're doing. Uh, I think it's really beautiful, really amazing. Um, just before you go tell people uh, about the book and where they can get it but also tell them um about what you're doing with the sober mom squad because there'll be a lot of mums listening to this uh, yeah. and what better place to be able to grow and uh, be vulnerable and but grow the courage see see other women having the conversation with tough with tough men and then being like well i can do that that, that this is perfect so how can they get involved
0: yeah. So, uh, my book, it's not about the wine, the loaded truth behind mommy wine culture is available, uh, wherever books are sold. Uh, so check that out. And then, uh, you can find me on social media at the ultimate mom challenge. Sober mom squad is a tr- amazing resource. It's my community. Uh, and I actually host several meetings there each week and, uh, you can find sober mom squad, uh, That's their handle, Sober Mom Squad, or you can go to SoberMomSquad.com. And they have uh, free and paid options where you can either join our weekly free meeting that I host uh, every Wednesday, or uh, you can participate on the app. There's a a book club, we've got subgroups, and we've got two to four meetings every day. Uh, for for moms who need it. Um, and, you know, we're all at a different place in our sobriety, but anybody who identifies as a mother and is living or exploring alcohol-free lifestyle is um, invited to join us.
1: Well, thank you for being a lineage breaker. What, what I mean by that is so many of us come on these podcasts and we always say, my mom or my dad drank. Your kids are not going to say that, right? So, yeah. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you for coming on and I wish you all the best in the future, Celeste.
0: Thank you so much.
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a few thank yous. First of all, I want to thank uh, you guys and girls for listening to this podcast and being supporters of it. Many people stop drinking alcohol just by listening to this podcast. I got a lot of people reaching out to me, thanking me for that, right? So give this to somebody as a gift today, or rate and review podcast if you can rate and review the podcast on your local podcast player and tell somebody about it you could change somebody's life today okay so thank you for listening and thank you in advice in advance for that piece of service also want to thank our producer stan um stan is still currently in the ukraine fighting the war and producing our podcast while his family is somewhere else in the world right now okay apart from him so everybody send out your prayers and your love Stan, we love you. Thank you very much for everything you do here. For you out there, if you are starting to think about, contemplate, uh, reflect on your relationship with alcohol, you do not have to do this alone. Yes, you drink alone, but you don't have to stop alone, okay? And if alcohol is not your thing, but you are starting to feel that you actually are living a parts-led life, the ego is getting in the way too much, so you're not happy with the way life is going, then reach out to us at the strive method at gmail.com. Just say, Lee. And just tell me what is on your mind. And we'll start to have that conversation. Stride Community is a beautiful place where you can start to feel seen, heard, and matter. It's where you can get community. And it's where you can start practicing what we call the eight C's of self, our core values, right? Of creativity, curiosity, uh, connection, compassion, courage. Uh, I can't remember the rest of them, but there's eight of them, right? And we have our quest structure. So we have assignments. And they're really interesting exciting. At the end of them, we say to you, come on, do this quest, right? Get involved in this challenge. Um, and strivers are really finding it exciting. And they're working their challenges in these areas that are going to increase the amount of time they spend in self-energy in a state of flow. And that is has amazing repercussions for the relationship you grow with yourself and for how you how you reach out to others in the life, like how you parent, how you um, are as a child to your, not child, but a son or a daughter, how you are in your relationship with the person you share your bed with and how you behave with your employees, right? So reach out to me at at gmail.com if you want to learn more. Okay. Much love, everybody.